At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Welcome to Healthcare Americana, coming to you from the Freedom Doc Studios. I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We talk to innovative clinicians, policymakers, patients, caregivers, executives, and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. We take you behind the scenes with people across America that are putting patients first and restoring trust in American healthcare. One of the hallmarks of American healthcare and really manufacturing theory across the modern day society is the power of the supply chain. How quickly can we get needed supplies, needed instruments to the people without really investing a lot of inventory and a lot of different theories that come along those lines? In recent years, it's no surprise that those supply chains were tested very extremely, I guess is the right word to say that, going through COVID and everybody understands we were short on masks, we're short on protective gear. And a lot of people scratch their head saying, how in the world did this just happen? Why did we do this to ourselves here without being able to understand how we got here in the first place and the ripple effects of these type of shortages making its way through people's lives and making it through our economy? Today's guest is Luca Yankopoulos, CEO of Grapevine Technologies, somebody who was very much affected with that, but on the outside of it, doing something else and figured, you know what, I want to step in. I feel called into helping fix supply chain and just making it better. So Luca, welcome to Healthcare Americana. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me, Chris. I'm a huge fan of the show. Glad I get to contribute as more than a listener today. So very excited to be here. I appreciate that. Kind words. You know, I am susceptible to flattery. So that's a good start (laughs) already. I I love your story because, you know, I'm one of those people that I came into healthcare from outside of it, you know, from a real estate background and doing a bunch of different stuff from a retail standpoint. And just looking at that, I'm like, why do people expect a really crappy experience whenever they have to step into the healthcare world for being sick or just checkups or whatever it was? And why are physicians all just so unhappy? There's got to be some way to fix it. So, you know, we started Freedom HealthWorks and went that route. Your story, while not exactly, you know, same industries, but seems like it's very parallel to that where, you know, you were focused on more of what I call like the kind of the energy side of it, figuring out how to tackle some really big challenges. But then you saw problems that were existing in healthcare supply chains and decided to step in, make a difference. Tell us exactly, you know, what was going through your mind when you saw these supply chains breaking down during COVID. Yeah, you know, Chris, I think you you touch on a very interesting and and common sort of shared thread or call to action for people that have found themselves in the healthcare space. I mean, whether you're a provider, a patient, a podcast host, or a, an entrepreneur, I think people that, that wind up working in the healthcare industry are usually brought here from a hobby or a passion project because of some sort of need, like a need that they're either facing, a loved one's facing, and next thing you know, you know, your grandmother's sick and you're becoming a 
number one researcher on a specific type type of disease, you know, or you're in real estate, people are talking about, you know, really interesting and important life-changing topics, or you're a patient, right? And you don't want to have to deal with going to the doctor. And next thing you know, you're going to the doctor every week because you've been diagnosed with some, you know, horrible disease. So I think a lot of people that end up in this industry aren't here because it's the thing that puts a smile on their face necessarily, but because of some sort of need, some sort of bigger project, some sort of inner calling. So I consider myself as part of that. But I guess without, without going too into my origin story, I think it's, it's pretty clear in this day and age and through COVID, like you mentioned, through a pandemic, that healthcare buyers are fed up with the dinosaur distributors of the industry. It's a lot of work to build and juggle a sufficient vendor network that can really prevent back orders, prevent delays, you know, get you all the products you need at, at really competitive prices. And most buyers in the healthcare space want their vendors at their fingertips. They want negotiated prices that they can tap into, personalized procurement that allows you as a buyer to communicate orders, negotiations, and needs directly to your vendors. And that's why we built Grapevine. So healthcare buyers can pick from the grapevine any vendor they need, and they can handle their procurement to payment processes, you know, like that, as simple as it should be on a collaborative platform for buyers to connect directly with vendors. And I want to talk about some of those problems that early in your career, you're trying to tackle something that's completely unrelated to what you eventually went into with grapevine. What type of problems did you see during COVID when you know, the, the, uh, was it the PPE? I think it was a personal protective equipment, that kind of stuff when there just wasn't any of it. And you're looking at it from your side of it saying, why is this happening? Talk us through, you know, what problems specifically you saw and then how you guys are addressing that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm home. I, I think for a lot of people, the pandemic brought people together. So I'm, I'm home actually with my parents at a family dinner on a Sunday and I'm, my mom is a nurse practitioner. At the time, she was working at New York Presbyterian. My father is a research scientist. And when things really broke out with the pandemic, I'm totally naive to healthcare and life science supply chains and any of the, the issues that buyers sort of might be facing in that space. And I'm hearing stories from my mom about a surgeon using a garbage bag in the operating room because they were out of gowns and how she's being given one mask to wear for a week-long period. And then you flip on the news and you're hearing, don't wear your mask for more than two days. It can cause respiratory infections. So you're, you're seeing this sort of stuff in the news. It's, it's the dinnertime conversations. And frankly, I'm scared, right? I'm, I'm dedicated to my studies in school. Like you said, it's energy research at the time. And I see people that I'm close to, my family members, you know, actually threatened by some of these sort of supply chain failures. So I'm, I'm seeing the shortage of supplies. I'm asking, you know, questions. I'm an inquisitive guy. I'm trying to understand why is my mom being forced to use one mask? Is it a matter of, you know, and, and ultimately we come back to is these dinosaur distributors that these big hospital and healthcare institutions and also smaller uh, healthcare facilities depend on, whether it be, you know, the McKessons, the Medlines, the Cardinal Healths, but they just did not have the supplies that they were supposed to have. They couldn't fill the orders of their customers, that being the healthcare facilities and the products that those people needed for patients and providers. And the result was that people were using either garbage bags in the operation rooms or reusing materials that are not meant to be reused. And that's risking the lives of healthcare providers and the patients. So it's, it's a pretty scary thing. And that, that's enough to be you know, a call to action for myself. 
Where do you think that specific breakdown happened, right? I'm, I'm a big fan of what Toyota did back in the day where, you know, a lot of their, their processes were built on the fact that if you ask the question why about five different times, then you're going to get down to the root problem of really what's going on. So why was there a shortage? I'm a big fan of Toyota too, I'll say. And the, and the five whys, I'm, I'm in <laughs> on that. Uh, but yeah, so, so I like how you're approaching this and dissecting it. The, uh, yeah, so, so why is there a shortage? I mean, I think... The high level answer is the supply chains, which I think paints sort of a false image in people's minds of how goods move from manufacturer to end user. It's not a linear chain, but it's, it's really a, you know, a network. The flow of supplies from manufacturers to end users through these dinosaur distributors is, is very overly complex. What do I mean by that? I mean that McKesson, isn't manufact- it's not a vertically integrated supply chain where McKesson is manufacturing all these products and bringing them into a warehouse and has eyes and ears on them all the way through to the patient. It's, it's actually very different than that. More than half the products that a McKesson or a dinosaur distributor might actually sell to hospitals and healthcare professionals are products that are manufactured, branded, imported, and actually made available for sale in the United States then bought by McKesson, brought into McKesson's warehouses, and then you know, reshipped back out to the end users. So the more sort of parties you bring into supply chain operations, the more sort of siloed technology information systems, the more you know, movement of materials from A to B to C to D. You know, the increased complexity creates you know, an increased number of fail points. And when there's disruption, when there's chaos, when there's unpredictable behavior, through these networks and these you know, flowing systems of supplies, you're more likely to see failures. So the simpler something is, the less fail points there are, the less likely that something goes wrong during a time of disruption. And unfortunately, when most of the supplies are moving through these dinosaur distributors with infinitely complex systems, hundreds of moving parts, hundreds of companies all sort of working together, you have an increased probability of supply chain failure. And that's, that's really what happens. So products that are, you know, let's say, Healthcare, healthcare facility one, healthcare buyer one needs masks. They go to McKesson, they say, do you have masks? McKesson says, well, yeah, we, we've got the masks, but I need to go and order them from Bob over down at the seaport. He's been importing all of them for us. And now he, and then the buyer says, great, I'm going to pay McKesson for my masks. And now McKesson says, don't worry, we got you. McKesson goes and turns around and says, Bob, all right, I need those masks now. Bob doesn't have the masks anymore because everyone's been asking him for the masks and he's totally sold out of masks. So he, they go, oh, you know, McKesson's trying to give Bob money. Bob's saying, I can't take your money. I don't have the mask. It's going to be another month. McKesson turns around, relays that information to their, their buyers. And next thing you know, this is happening not just across masks, but across every SKU. It's happening to thousands of Bobs because that's how McKesson does their business. And ultimately, nothing's getting where it needs to go. And people are just left out to dry on false promises because of unexpected sort of behaviors from their supply chain partners. It's that one interruption and that ripple effect. And to me, it really demonstrated the fragility of just-in-time manufacturing theories and supply chain theories. And I don't say that lightly because I think just-in-time, for anybody in their audience who, who's unfamiliar with that, is, you know, I need, like you just said, your story. I need this, and I'm only going to have enough parts on hand to fulfill the immediate orders and not have to sink capital into inventories and storage and all this kind of stuff. It, it, it. I think a lot of t- companies were going super, I mean, almost like militaristic into that line of thinking. 
We're like, this is going to happen forever. And you had one blip on the radar and boom, it knocks down a bunch of dominoes all the way through the fact that, well, now I can't get them because it's happening to everybody. And, you know, there were the ports that shut down and all this kind of stuff. So there's a lot of finger pointing, that type of stuff. But do you see just-in-time manufacturing coming out of the pandemic as prevalent as it used to be when it, when it, when it deals with supply chain? I think it's a hard question to answer because I no easy questions on this show no easy questions no. <laughs> on healthcare americana <laughs> right i mean there's two sides to, to every coin there's the idea that manufacturers are put in a tough spot right when they're asked to take huge economic positions buying raw materials to produce end user product end user facing products and the raw material prices are fluctuating just like anything else so they're buying you know if you want them to buy more raw materials to be able to have the ability to upscale manufacturing, produce more, you know, at the drop of a pin, they could be in a bad position where raw material costs drop and now they can't produce those same products at the same, you know, low level cost as someone else who waited to buy, buy materials. So it's hard for me to say, and honestly, I, my sort of scope of expertise falls just within manufacturing. I mean, like, I don't know much about sort of upstream manufacturing and, and just-in-time man- manufacturing. I wouldn't feel comfortable taking a position on this one. Well, that's okay. We can speculate all we want to, right? It's our episode, so that's what we get to do all day long. But yeah, and that and that's just kind of like the big takeaway, right? Like whenever somebody thinks something like this happens, and we're going to be learning just, I mean, from from kind of the anthropology side of it. You know, how how do people interact with one another? What 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 did shutdown orders and what did the pandemic have on aspects of everyday life through business? I mean, economically, we're still trying to chew through a lot of what happened three years ago. And that's what kind of sticks in my mind that whenever there's shortages, I mean, did we see a massive intake, a massive intake in, in, wow, whew, a massive uptick. There we go. <laughs> in demand. And the question is, yes. But what happened to that supply? It's like these things just kind of vanished and we didn't exactly know where to bring them in. Look, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear back from our sponsors and I want to dive into your solution. So it's always easy to talk about problems, but it's those solutions that really set us all apart. So here's a quick message from our sponsor, Freedom Doc. Physician burnout is a killer. It is driving our best and brightest out of medicine. The only solution to burnout is to be your own boss. Easiest way to be your own boss is join the Freedom Doc Physician Network. Freedom Doc is a unified consumer brand and will fully finance your practice so that you can enjoy a healthier lifestyle, take better care of patients, and spend more time at home with your family in the evening. You focus on patients. Freedom Doc focuses on your business. So if you're ready to be your own boss, visit our website, freedomdoc.care, to learn more and schedule a consultation with one of our experts. Freedom Doc, accessible concierge healthcare. Once again, we're talking to Luca Yankopoulos, CEO, Grapevine Technologies. Luca, we talked about a lot of the challenges that got you into you know, building Grapevine and, and how you're trying to alleviate problems from healthcare supply chains, make it more accessible, drive down costs. A lot of times healthcare is just dealing with funny money and nobody actually knows the price or the cost and it's just a, a fifth of our economy. So you know, no big deal there. <laughs> Let's talk about solutions. So you saw this problem, right? Whether you know it's a supply chain, whether it's it's manufacturing, you know, wherever those problems existed, and a lot of things just kind of build upon themselves. Let's talk about solutions. So you saw that problem, you're like, you know what? I'm going to fix this, and I'm going to fix this by doing what? Yeah. So I think that 
when we talk about the overly complex systems and, and we talk about the sort of need for manufacturers to scale, to produce, you know, with variable demand and, and changes in demand from their, their buyers or customer base, um, what can help us sort of take on the complexity and make better sort of predictions about what we need to be able to produce at any given time? I think that increased transparency, which is a, a word you hear sort of all over beyond the healthcare space, is a huge component that needs to be further folded into healthcare supply chains. Uh, what do I mean by that? I mean, on the manufacturing side, it's important that we give manufacturers a look into that demand as it's shifting. It can't just be up to the manufacturer to calculate the number of sales we're getting and are we getting an increased number of sales to, to try to figure out if demand is going up, if they should be producing more, and then they reflect at the end of a quarter and at that point it's too late to increase in upscale manufacturing. So what do we do? I think we need to give manufacturers a more transparent look at what the sort of buyer market, both their customer base but also the bigger global market uh, is demanding at any given time. And not only giving them sort of a look into which products are moving, how fast are they moving, and at what rates are they selling? Is it twice as much sales or purchases for this product this month, or is it you know five x? So they can actually sort of scale their manufacturing to to meet the growing demand of different product lines. And it's not just mastering the pandemic. I mean, to this day, we're continuing to see shortages from various suppliers. There was, I mean, a cough drop shortage. You know, lidocaine shortage. We're seeing it all over the place. So it, it, the, the story really never ends, um, and maybe it doesn't get as much press, you know, as when hundreds of thousands of, of Americans are dying of a pandemic. But it's it's still happening on a, on a regular basis. So I think transparency is key. I think for uh, suppliers, that means more access to interpretable data and making better predictions based on that data, predictive analytics and forecasting of how they should scale up or scale down manufacturing of specific lines. Mm -hmm. I, I'm curious about your customer journey. So, you know, who are your actual customers? Who Who's writing the check to Grapevine? Our system is really built for healthcare buyers. It's built for small to medium-sized healthcare facilities, whether it's dental practices, urgent care clinics, private practices, you know, orthopedic practices. These are the sort of people that we serve. And... Our system is totally free to use for these businesses. So we are really trying to do good by these healthcare buyers. When that customer sort of signs up for Grapevine, what they basically get access to is we call it like a digital vendor network. What do I mean by that? They sign up and think of like a social media, um, but rather than a social media for you, Chris, connecting with your family and friends, sharing pictures, it's a social media or a, a, a network for buyers to log in and basically view the profiles of various vendors, connect with those vendors, and it's sort of like a curated marketplace or a curated e-commerce platform where they get to take a transparent look into various manufacturers. How long does it take this manufacturer to ship out? How long, you know, what's their minimum order? Are there other issues, delays that, that people see as far as back orders with these manufacturers? They can then opt into a B2B partnership with those manufacturers, allowing those manufacturers' catalogs to sort of populate their shopping center. And then they can add products from manufacturer one or vendor, you know, importer one, 
all the way to any manufacturers, importers, distributors they like working with. They can work with one vendor if they want to. They can connect with, partner with, and, and shop from hundreds of vendors if they want to. They can even actually invite their own vendors to join the network. It's free to use also for the vendors. So have their other vendors, and then they can handle all their purchasing from 15 different vendors in one place. And that sort of ability to connect and purchase from vendor partners is really paired with a suite of inventory management and supply chain management tools. So they can automate their payments on the orders that they place with their various vendors. They can track and coordinate logistics. And then they can even manage the inventory of the products once those products are delivered to their facility. And these prices from vendors are all up on your platform so people can look in and say, yeah, that's a fair price or I don't want to pay that one. Totally. So... The prices and, and when a vendor comes and joins, so the, the process for joining as a buyer is a lot simpler than the process for joining as a vendor. Like you said, by the time a buyer comes in, they can see the prices along with a lot more information about these vendors and choose who they want to work with immediately available upon sign in. However, with the vendors, when they sort of ask to join, we enter in a sort of negotiation period where we will actually go out and leverage the buying power of our entire sort of buyer network on Grapevine to negotiate lower and lower prices with these vendors. So even if you're a small private practice, right, and you buy a couple cases of something a month, you're going to actually be able to tap into prices that are based on hundreds of different businesses ordering all at once. You're really leveraging almost in a GPO-esque way. You're leveraging the power of the entire Grapevine buyer network uh, to access these lower prices. So some of the prices you're seeing, I mean, if you're shopping on like McKesson or Henry Schein, like a box of gloves, for example, today, it's like $20 a box of 100 or 200 nitrile gloves. On Grapevine, you'll come on, it's pretty mind-blowing, but it'll be literally 90% discount. It'll be $2 for a box of gloves. How? I, I, yeah, that's the question that comes to mind. It's like, so same, same, is it the same distributor, same manufacturer, same stuff? Same distributor. I, is that <laughs> just the brilliance of buying directly from, you know, it, almost like they go direct to consumer type of a type of a mindset, cutting out middlemen, cutting out distribution channels, warehousing? Yeah, I mean, dis, exactly sort of like you're saying, disintermediation is what we call it. That, that's a huge part of it, right? It's taking out the intermediaries. So like I said, there was Bob, there was McKesson and there was the end user, right? And McKesson is going to buy that product from Bob. He's, McKesson is going to import that or actually like move it. Like they're going to send a truck driver who's going to put it into the truck and move it into McKesson's warehouse. Then they're going to have this huge McKesson warehouse where they got hundreds of employees. And when you get an order, they're going to go and break it down and ship. All that movement, the movement of supplies from Bob to McKesson, ultimately to the end user, that's like an increased embodied cost on the product that you pay for as the end user. So because McKesson's moving it to its various warehouses, like you're actually paying, you don't see it as like a line item when you go to check out on McKesson's website or whatever, but you are paying a cost of the product that actually costs moving it from Bob to McKesson's warehouse, moving it from McKesson's warehouse to your, actually paying the thousands of employees at McKesson to do whatever the hell they do as far as marketing. You know, there's a lot of value add services that, small businesses specifically aren't getting the value of when they work with McKesson and don't really have a need for. So you're paying this huge premium, but you just want the box of gloves. So go and buy the box of gloves the way that you should do it. And it's not sustainable for a lot of businesses right now without something like Grapevine because what's their option, right? Like they want to buy from Bob, 
but Bob only sells gloves, right? And they need to buy a thousand of their products for their dental office or their small doctor's office. So what are they going to work with a hundred different vendors by email and phone and sending faxes and checks in the mail? Like that's not scalable for, for most small business. And that's where Grapevine steps in, right? We, we allow you to disintermediate the supply chain, work with a hundred vendors, but all in one place. So it's a simplified version of what really should be going on and what can save, you know, small businesses 90% on their cost of products. And where small businesses thrive are picking at the inefficiencies of larger companies. If large companies did everything perfect, there'd be no room for your ideas and my ideas and be able to have, you know, build a commerce behind it. And I know you, you talked about, you know, transparency and inefficiencies, this kind of stuff, but this stuff has been in market on the consumer side for a very, very long time. And just now it feels like healthcare is always like two decades behind any other type of technology trend here. In your mind, what are you seeing from an inefficiency standpoint in healthcare that has gotten us to this point where it's like, wow, how are we two decades behind the ability for a, a new pair of shoes or, or uh, paper towels to show up on my doorstep same day? Yet in healthcare, that would take millions of dollars in two years for the same type of process to happen. What are some of those inefficiencies that you found that have led it up to that? I think that part of it comes down to human nature, right? When you evaluate taking a risk and, and every change, every time you overhaul your system, when you, you know, decide to use Chrome browser instead of Safari or you decide to get a new laptop, right? Like, there's always, you know, a risk and a reward that you're balancing in your head. And every person is, is doing this all the time. So when someone decides to change the systems that are in place, you got to balance sort of the, the reward and the incentive to make that change alongside the risk and, and what's going to come if this change is a total blunder and it's a total mistake and it actually, we need to you know, roll everything back. When you look at the risks associated with making changes to technology in healthcare, you know, the risks are high. We're talking about, okay, there's this new valve I'm going to implant and I'm going to run a cardiology practice, right, let's say. And I want to take a new risk and, and figure out a new way of, of purchasing this valve that I'm going to implant in my patient's chest that's going to keep their heart pumping for the next 20 years, right? That's what we're risking. So the risk is like life and death if, if something goes wrong. If that thing gets delayed a week and this is like, you know, an older patient that's life is on the line, like I'm not willing to take a risk of saving 20%, 30%, 40%. What, what's, the, what's the reward that's going to make this payoff? Is 90% savings on the same product enough? to even, you know, stimulate a change that could have ripple effects on, on a patient's life. I don't know. And I, I think that fear often and too often has decided the fate of technological evolution in the healthcare supply chain systems. And it's, it's sad that that's the case, especially when we realize that our fear and our resistance to change made us so susceptible during covid probably lost a lot of lives because we haven't adapted to new sort of consumer good facing technologies and systems. Um, and it, it's really, it's really, I think, you know, sick, sickening and gut wrenching to know that there are systems, like you said, right? There are systems that are better. There are systems that are smarter and they're not perfectly built. Like I'm not saying that vendors can just use Shopify and Amazon and it solves all the problems. Like there's different challenges specifically for the, the healthcare space. You need like refrigerated trucks for a lot of these things, right? Like it's different things, but the same software and technology solutions can be implemented, tailored to the healthcare industry to, to make the healthcare supply chain just as efficient as fast moving consumer goods. To me, it's much more important that these technological advancements are made 
for healthcare over fast moving consumer goods. I don't care how long it takes my socks or my new Nikes to get delivered to my house. But I do care how long it takes my grandmother to get a new valve delivered because she's like on a rest, you know, like she needs this stuff. It's something we need to do better at as a people, as a country. And we need to feel comfortable taking, I don't even think it's risks, but, but making changes to the systems that no longer work, that are outdated in healthcare supply chains. Learning. Learning, learning. right? And it's okay. Admitting mistakes and, and learning or just improving upon it. Luca, last question for you. Uh, just curious, what's next for Grapevine and your journey as a, as a businessman and entrepreneur? Yeah, for sure. Well, we launched just in January as a, as a sort of public platform. Got over 100 you know, different businesses operating on Grapevine today. Uh, it's been an exciting you know, first six months to our journey, but we're just getting started and I think now it's about getting our name out there and showing people that we can deliver, that our, the reward of working with Grapevine is worth the sort of risk or the cost of changing systems that have been in place for you know decades. And I think that when we get our sort of word out there and we you know dominate with a more public presence and people get to know the brand, I hope that it will become the obvious choice. I, I hope that we can actually have the impact that I think the world deserves to have uh, when it comes to sort of price savings, cost savings on products, but also just sort of simplifying the entire equation of healthcare supply chains. So for me, it's about, you know, letting people know that there's a better alternative, um, getting the name out there and then continuously listening, you know, basically developing with an ear to the wall, like. I think I know a lot now, but I always know more tomorrow than I knew yesterday. So I want to keep learning. I want to sort of get the word out, hear people's continued problems, see if and why, you know, maybe Grapevine isn't a perfect fit for their business and then build for those people so we can actually add real tangible value to the small business owners that, that need support and help and don't really get it from the, the dinosaur distributors. So I think we're on the right track now, but obviously a hundred different businesses using our platform is, is just a small start. And we got a long way to go to really make a, a solution that can have the sort of impact to eventually outpace and replace something like McKesson. I love that. Outpace and replace. That's, that's words to live by right there. Luca Yankopoulos, CEO, Grapevine Technologies. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for coming on our show. Thank you so much, Chris. That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com to catch previous episodes. Subscribe to our mailing list and visit our online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all of our episodes. Visit the shop and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced and managed by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org.
Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.